0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you very much for tuning in with us today, and um, stay stay with us because it's a very interesting topic today. But before that, I would like to just uh, uh, welcome uh, our panel for today, and I will start with uh, Brenton. Thank you for joining us, Brenton. Always a pleasure to be here to study God's Word with our listeners. Thank you, Brenton, and
1: uh, Ken, uh, welcome back. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here again.
0: Lynn, thank you for joining us also. No
2: need to thank me. Hello, listeners.
0: And Lija, uh, also very welcome to this Bible study.
3: Thank you. I'm very privileged to be here.
0: Today I have um, Gary uh, who is going to facilitate uh, this uh, Bible study for us. And Gary, thank you very much for coming along and preparing this study. I will just hand it right to you now.
4: It's a real pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much for your welcome. I really enjoy coming along and just sharing with our listeners. I think it's a, a, a wonderful uh, opportunity to be able to study the Bible uh, together. Do you know, these last few weeks we've been looking at a section of the Bible that's often overlooked by uh, Bible students, yet that section provides some uh, some really wonderful uh, insights. Over the, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at... Uh, Uh, two Old Testament characters, Ezra and Nehemiah. We don't often do uh, or spend a lot of time uh, in talking about these two characters. Len, can you just refresh our memories? For those of our listeners who haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, um, who were Ezra and Nehemiah? What were
2: they known for? When did they live? Well, these two people were actually Jews, who were part of the captivity of when Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked Jerusalem and um, the Jews were punished by being out of their homeland, being captives in Babylon. So we're talking about the 6th century BC? Something there. I'm just trying to get the setting. Ezra himself was a real man of God he studied the uh, scriptures. He studied the law. He taught the law. And he was of priestly descent. He uh, went back with the, those captives who went back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding Jerusalem. Nehemiah, on the other hand, was a royal official uh, in the service of the king, King Artaxerxes, He's mentioned a little bit later on in time and the building, the rebuilding of the temple and the city of Jerusalem had stopped and he was concerned about it when he heard a report and he asked the king for leave of absence that he would go and oversee the rebuilding of the city so Nehemiah was the king's Cupbearer in other words he was very close to the king royal official both of these men had a part to play in the rebuilding of Jerusalem mhm
4: okay uh, you know this that job you know to me it sounds as though this is really a very significant role that these two men have been uh, called to fulfil. They've been called to superintend the reconstruction of a, of a major city. They've got to deal with the interplay and politics of uh, various personalities there. Uh, they have to establish support systems for the, uh, for the city. This is a huge and this is a challenging job for these, uh, for these people. The, the th- question that comes to my mind, though, is why are these men actually uh, chosen. Why is it that God chooses these two particular men. Now, our Bible study guide um, mentions, mentions this. It, it says, Ezra was chosen for various reasons. He was willing to go. He was a leader. He was a skilled scribe and teacher. But then it suggests that we look at uh, one particular passage of Scripture that builds up his qualifications even more. Ken, I'm just wondering, could you read for us uh, Ezra 7.10? Because I think that this really puts something in perspective.
1: Uh, we're reading from the King James book here so Ezra 7 and verse 10 for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in
4: Israel statues and judgments ok so so Ezra had uh, had meant to prepare his heart to seek the Lord Ken what do you think that means?
1: well I believe that means that Ezra put his thoughts and his heart towards the Lord that he had this uh, shall we say his goal in mind and he uh, obviously decided that he would seek the Lord constantly he would fast, he would pray and
4: he would teach the people the statues of the Lord Anybody
2: else on on that particular question? Um, Elaine? Well I think of it a bit like this Let's say you're going on an overseas trip In your mind, you already prepare to uh, do what's necessary to pack your clothing and stuff that you need to prepare for the uh, flights or if you're going by ship for the uh, journey by ship. It involves uh, a preparation of mind. Mm. You just don't Mm. say, oh, well, I'm going on a holiday and... Grab your toothbrush and go, and Ezra was preparing his life really to serve the lord, and I think I really admire this in Ezra, so God called
4: because of some some qualification, some uh, something that was Ezra already had something within him before God call I, I, that's the I sort of thing I think you're right yes. uh, Lydia. you
3: sharing we all know from our studies that Ezra first of all he was a priest and a scribe and uh, a teacher uh, very well versed in the law of Moses so was, he was teaching Torah so God chose him to prepare heart, the hearts of people in order to rebuild Jerusalem so this work couldn't be done without the uh, spiritual part, because they are not prepared to, be, to build a Jerusalem.
4: So spirituality is actually the foundation Something in good, this yeah. case of a uh, of a physical development in the uh, the physical development that happened in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That, mm-hmm. That's an important, uh, Brenton.
5: I think the priorities there were fairly clear. God, as always, has his timing perfect. First of all, he chose a man who was going to be both teacher and theologian, you could call him. His, his work was to train the people to obey the law of God. You could call Nehemiah for want of a better term, project manager. <laughs> he came back to uh, Jerusalem to actually project manage the complete restoration mm-hmm. and the setting up of the judicial system. What Lydia has said is true. You must have your priorities right. The priority is, first of all, get the spiritual aspects right? then the physical aspects will follow. And I believe this is how God planned it. This is why he allowed Ezra to go there first and then later on Nehemiah. You get the perfect balance then where the people are brought into harmony with what God would have them to do. Mm -hmm. Then, because they are right spiritually, the desire, the motivation is there to go ahead and rebuild. As we know, they rebuilt the walls in 52 days.
2: Mm-hmm. So, A like, remarkable possible. achievement, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Len? I don't think Ezra prepared himself, particularly, at least in the first <clears throat> instance, to carry out this job. I think Ezra prepared himself personally between himself and God yes. to understand God's will. And I see there... A modern um, application that as people that we should uh, be in the business of preparing ourselves to meet God, to develop the relationship that we have with God we will be better off for it and then just like what happened with Ezra, God may use us in a particular area where we might be of useful of use in his kingdom
4: mm, mm, mm. okay nick
0: i was just going to say um, that um, before we even go a bit further into this uh, discussion just keep in mind one thing uh, that um, both these characters ezra and Nehemiah, they were from god's chosen people they're from israel uh, finding themselves uh, in exile uh, in another uh, foreign place But they have in their heart that burden which God put into his people. And that's very important. Regardless where we are, what's the the situation, the context of our living, we need to have that passion in our hearts that we are the chosen one of God. We are God's people and these people could not sleep comfortably and to just go along with daily life. This, They have a burden in their heart. They have a determination in their heart. They are watching for the opportunity when they can come and do something which God asked them to do. And keep in mind because we'll come very soon to unveil a little bit more about the prophecies of the Bible, God foretold them what he's going to do, and these people, they were watching for that time, and if we'll take a lesson for us today, we are Christian in this world, and we are facing a lot of challenges today, are we God's people to watch out for the time he has set up for us?
4: I think that's a really important uh, point that you actually make um, uh, because that is an issue that uh, it becomes highly relevant for us, uh, us today. I'm just wondering, though, um, if we bring this into the New Testament, a similar thought is actually expressed by Christ in, uh, in the book of Matthew. I'm just wondering, uh, Brenton, would you like to share with us uh, that thought that Christ gives to his disciples? Because it's a very similar thought to what, uh, uh, to what we've actually been uh, talking about. Gary, I'd be happy to read it, but I'd also like to comment on it Yeah, well. sure, sure, do
5: both. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, this uh, statement is written in the context, I believe, which is very applicable in 2019 of living in a materialistic society where the gods of this world are sport, possessions and other things. And Christ is saying to the people that he said this to on the on the mount, he said, you are to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word righteousness, another word for that is justice. Mm -hmm. to seek the kingdom of God and his justice. Now, one of the things that Nehemiah had to do when he came back to Jerusalem was set up the justice system within there because up until then, it was pretty much a free for all, as you know. And I think today as Christians, it's important for us to not only seek God's righteousness first in our individual lives and also corporately as churches, but it's also, I think, behoven on us to think, is justice in society being actually carried out for those who are most in need of it? Mm-hmm. And often the answer to that is no. So therefore, as Christians, I believe we have a responsibility, even if we can't do it at a political level, we have a responsibility spiritually to seek justice for those around us, both those within the church and also
4: those without it. That's actually a really important point there, uh, uh, Brent, because what I'm conscious of is that I've got a f- within my personal sphere. I am able to function as, uh, as God's representatives on ba- working on biblical principles and influence those in my personal sphere. Yeah. I may not be able to influence the guys in Australian politics or the, uh, or, or the folk involved in business, but you know, uh, within my sphere, I can certainly uh, fulfil what is actually being mm. spoken of here. Uh, but, but let me just open this out just a, just a little bit more. Yeah. What does it really mean to seek first the kingdom of God? I'm just wondering, Ken, would, would you like to uh, to share anything on this? Yes, I think in, in many ways it is clear,
1: and that is rather than putting worldly things first, as many, many people do, even Christian, many Christian people do the same thing, unfortunately, we are to really seek God and his knowledge first. And if we seek God, he will then... Uh, give us the Holy Spirit, which will empower us to do more than what we should be doing. And it's just a question of really spending time in God's word and praying and just giving the Lord the time that uh, he deserves. and will help us spiritually to grow
4: and be prepared for the lord's Mm -hmm. return no that's good that's good lydia you were you have a thought on this
3: building jerusalem was a very important task because it was a fulfillment of god's prophecy um so uh, the work of ezra was very important because he prepared the people's hearts for 13 years and Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem after 13 years. And uh, the work of building uh, Jerusalem, it took 20 years. So uh, Ezra's uh, work of preparing people's hearts was extremely important because it was already in place. Everything was was in place. They, uh, they desired from their own heart to do this. They were not pushed, they were not forced. So Mm. their hearts were already in place, prepared
2: Mm. for God, to serve the Lord. That's good. Elaine? I'd just like to comment about Matthew 6.33 that was read a little earlier about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just prior to that statement, Jesus was talking about the things that people are busy seeking and doing. And then he points out that those things are really fairly temporary. Why should we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The answer is because there are eternal rewards, not Uh, just temporary, but permanent eternal rewards. Mm -hmm. In other words, the um, most important thing is to keep the most important thing as the most important thing. And that is the most important thing.
4: Okay, thanks Thanks for that. Look, I'm just wondering if we can go in a slightly different direction. Now, I am conscious that our time is starting to, uh, to move along. Uh, our Bible study guide brings up a, a remarkable biblical prophecy in the book of Daniel that refers to a time period connected to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. I'm wondering, Brenton, could you possibly read for us that Prophecy that comes from the book of Daniel concerning the rebuilding Of Jerusalem
5: Daniel 9 and verse
4: 25
5: Says know therefore and understand That from the going forth of the Command to restore And build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince There shall be seven weeks And sixty two weeks The street shall be built again and the Wall even in troublous times
4: this is a remarkable passage of scripture. What we've got here is the prophet Daniel. He is sharing that from the time of the, the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, which is what Ezra and Nehemiah were working at, until Messiah, the Prince there was going to be a certain period of time. When that period was fulfilled, what was going to occur is that the Messiah would come. This is a prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah. Now, this, this passage to, to many uh, um, secular people uh, is, is something that they may not be aware of, but the concept itself is actually deemed as being rather strange. Uh, look, uh, Len, tell me, this concept of telling the future because this, that's actually what's occurring in this passage here. They're saying that the Messiah is going to come after a certain period of time following the going forth of this commandment. Uh, this concept of telling the future, it seems strange to most secular individuals. Do you believe that God, I mean, you're, you're part of the secular world, do you believe that God can uh, foretell the future? I do. But hang on, you come with an education background. You're a, you know, I mean, you've got academic degrees, you're you're trained, and yet you believe that God can foretell the future?
2: I do. And I believe that we're reading from God's book today, the Bible, and there are plenty of instances where prophecies were given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the actual event occurred. In fact, even in this particular one we're dealing with, with the um, rulers of the kingdoms of the Medo-Persian, the, the man Cyrus was mentioned at least 120 years before Cyrus even showed up. Wow. And then I think of um, the prophecy that Daniel uh, gave in chapter 2 of the world kingdoms, and what was going to happen? It's happened. And the chances, and I've done um, mathematics of probability, the chances of that happening are basically zero to, to one. But it's too uncanny mm. to be just
4: mere chance. Mm. Mm. That's, uh, th- th- that's an amazing thought. Anybody else on this particular issue, this concept of telling the future, it really seems strange. I'm sure some of our listeners will find that in a remarkably strange concept that there is a God in heaven who can actually foretell the future. I mean, um, um, Brent and Ken, why do you, I mean, do you believe there is a God who can foretell the future? And I mean, why do you hold to that belief?
5: I do believe there is a God who can foretell the future, but I'd like to make a brief comment, Gary, just on this particular text. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Really what the angel is saying to Daniel here is this. He's saying you have a second opportunity to put right the things that you got wrong the first time round. Remember they went into captivity, uh, Nebuchadnezzar took them into captivity, on three separate occasions. And they ended up in captivity for a number of reasons, one of them being that they didn't worship the true God, they worshiped a multiplicity of gods by Mm. that stage. Uh, Another one was that they had, uh, society had been taken over, I believe, by consumerism and materialism, very much like the society today. Really what this text is saying is you have a final opportunity This is your opportunity to restore. It's not only talking, I believe, about the physical restoration of uh, Jerusalem and also the setting up of the judicial system. It's talking about restoring an opportunity for you to restore your spiritual relationship with the Lord, because at the end of this period, the Messiah is coming. You could
0: almost say coming ready or not. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nick, you... I was just going to bring it a little bit back, uh, uh, as Brenton was just mentioning, about uh, the experience of Daniel in, uh, in Babylon under uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar. He could see how God foretold the development of the, uh, you know, what's going to, to follow in the kingdom of Babylon and who's after Babylon. And right now, we are in the time of uh, Medo-Persia. And these guys knew that uh, when God is speaking about something, He's, uh, he's going to, to make it happen. Mm. And what's important in this Bible study today, because this is called God's call, you know, when God is calling for His people, they should be watching and to be ready to understand. Because I would like to read one verse uh, in Ezra. We are talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. But in Ezra chapter um, 7, verse 27, says this, and I really like it. Blessed be the Lord, God of our fathers, who has put such thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem these people were watching and waiting for an opportunity to see that somebody is going to move forward to Mm. give a decree because Mm. they were waiting for that it will be a decree it will be 70 weeks from the rebuilding of Jerusalem until the Messiah Mm. now when they saw the um, the king was you know moved in his heart to do something in this regard they said straight away hey Let's, let's join these guys because mm-hmm. this is a sign from God they, they were not just passive mm-hmm. people of God in their time they were intentional mm-hmm. they were watching for opportunities for times
4: it's see. that intentionality that is actually so important in what's yes, occurring here it because is. what you're seeing is that uh, God is fulfilling his word but uh, man is actually responding to God's promises as well uh, Lynn, please share with
2: us I believe God can tell the future, but God doesn't make our future. We, uh, while God knows what happens or will happen with us, he doesn't make us do that in order that his uh, predictions, his prophecies are fulfilled. We have the right to choose which road we will take. However, I do believe that the Bible is an authentic book that its author is God for a number of reasons, and one of them is the fact that prophetic statements have been shown to come true 100%, not just 2 or 4% as, say, Nostradamus, 4% of his predictions, I believe, have come true. Well, you won't give much credence to somebody who gets... 4%, 4%, right. That's guessing, uh,
4: guessing you can get 50 50, can't you? <laughs> That's
2: right. It's 100%. And also, archaeology has backed this up time and time and time again mm. um, that this book that we're studying from is an authentic and true book. Its author is God who can tell the future.
1: Mm.
2: I just want to mm-hmm. say something very quick,
0: uh, what Len uh, said. Not that I, uh, I don't really like to disagree with what Len was saying, but I just want to, to mention something because he said that God is not making our future. That's a very interesting uh, observation because in, in uh, my understanding is a bit like this. That's why God is God, because he can do whatever he likes. He can make people to fall into his plans. And that was the case even with this, uh, this king. And if we look back, uh, you know, uh, Pharaohs in the land of Egypt and so on, God actually can do whatever he likes. That's why he is God. Now, and here is what I thought Len was uh, working on. Um, we may be or not be in God's plans because of our choice. But God will still ful- he, fulfill his plans regardless if we want to to join that plan or not.
4: But that plan may not then operate through us, correct, because that's, that's the, correct. The, the reality is is that there is, a, um, while while God um, has has plans for humanity and wants to enlist His people in those plans, humanity still has a choice as to how those plans are actually worked out in uh, in individual lives.
0: And, and that's what I was going to. That's why I, I raised up that uh, that thing because many people today in Christianity. Christendom. They, will, uh, they are very passive Christians, you know. But if we are, as we mentioned earlier, active and intentional, then we may be those people in God's plans. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, regardless, God will still come again and will end up all this uh, uh, mess on this earth the question is are we going to be involved in his plan or mm-hmm. not that's where mm-hmm. it's our choice which i agree with Len. what Len was saying
1: look I, I just real quickly wanted to backtrack we're talking about our our belief in god and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that there is a god in heaven and he organizes everything in the universe and as a trainee uh, i'm one of these people that deal in realities not very fairy stuff And uh, the reason I came to the Lord was many, many years ago, it was proved to me through the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, prophecies that had been in there and had actually happened and taken place and it was looking at black and white you could not deny these things have happened and it was black and white in the Bible and I Mm. thought well if this is true there must be a God and of course since then the Lord has been involved in my life and I'm sure he
4: was beforehand too but I didn't know it but uh, it's just been totally amazing. And those things that um, we find those prophecies in the book of Daniel it's wonderful when you see the number the amount of archaeological and historical Mm. support there are for those biblical prophecies to me that makes a even more powerful. Look, that's a
1: really, really interesting point. And over the years, many times when I've spoken to Non believers, I say to them, look, it's so easy to prove these things for yourself, but of course, most of them don't because if they did, then they realize they have a decision to make. Yeah. That's an important that's point.
4: I think you've really hit a vital point there. I mean, there are implications to accepting that a God of heaven does actually exist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sure. Lygia, please come and share with us.
3: So, we know for sure that God can foretell the future. But on the same time, he doesn't predestine humans, but we have a choice in this matter. So as God chose the Israelites to be his people, to bring the good news about God in the world, I do believe that we are chosen by God to be his people in our days. And God chooses also every single one of us for salvation and he wants us to be transformed into his image of jesus mm. and also god chooses different people for for specific tasks
4: okay okay very important gary,
5: gary can i just make a quick comment on this um, basically when israel initially and later judah went into captivity you had daniel you had israel and nehemiah who we're starting with you ask yourself the question, God's original plan going right back to the time of Abraham is in that you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Shall Israel failed miserably in that. I see God's hand very clearly through these prophetic books of Ezekiel, of Daniel, of Ezra, and Nehemiah. These books outline a God who is getting his message that he is the true God out to heathen kings mm. who were the head of the known world. Nebuchadnezzar, head of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, Uh, these various kings head of the Medo-Persian Empire. God is still getting out to them that I am the true God. There is nobody other than me. I can not only foretell the future, I can move upon people who do not know me to fulfill what I wish. When heathen kings can actually see this, you ask yourself the question, why couldn't Israel see God's leading and guiding in
4: their lives yeah 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 no no i really appreciate you bringing up that point actually because what you find particularly in the book of daniel is god continually working through the leaders of these other nations it's not just israel that he was working through Uh,
2: before you go on gary i just want to clear my name (laughs) (laughs) um in saying that god does not force the future um god doesn't force us to believe in him He knows what is going to happen to us, but he doesn't force. He may encourage, he might Mm -hmm. try to arrange events that we will make a decision to serve and honour him. Mm. But he won't force. He cannot force because if he did, then it would be contrary to his own nature because right right at the beginning at creation, Mm. he gave man the choice. Mm. And that choice is given out of love. If there's no choice, then you don 't know if love is genuine or not yeah, exactly exactly you know this um, this reality
4: that bible prophecy. Has got a a substantive base is something that so many Christians actually overlook. Do you know? Just a little while ago, I was reading a uh, uh, a book by uh, by John Lennox. Now, John Lennox is, I think, it's the um, uh, professor of mathematics at Oxford uh, University. Uh, it's entitled Against the Flow, and it's actually talking about the book of uh, uh, the book of Daniel. And in it, he talks about this issue of Bible prophecy. and And this is what he says. The prophets claim supernatural inspiration for their predictions that the Messiah would come. They claim to be speaking the word of God. In other words, the fulfilment of supernatural prophecy lies at the heart of what Christianity is. Now, we're going to keep going on this quote, but what do you think about that? Does supernatural prophecy lie at the heart of what Christianity is? Would
2: you agree with him? 100%. The Old Testament prophecies... Predicting a saviour, and it's in this study that we're actually doing as well. There are three hundred and sixty—sorry, uh, about three hundred and fifty prophecies predicting the saviour, Christ.
4: Yes. Well, that's a remarkable number. It is. Hey, anybody else on this? I, Ken, you were going to get in on this one.
1: Yes, uh, I think it's it's just so easy today if you take a bit of time and look into some of these prophecies. We have the Great Flood, we have Noah's Ark, we have zillions of things that you can look into and these things have all happened and come to fruition and there's more to come and the Bible tells us all that's happening.
5: Can I suggest a complete irony in all of this? Uh, Len brought up the point earlier on that 100% of the prophecies that have been uh, foretold in the bible have been fulfilled people today read the astrological column in uh, newspapers and other things and base their lives around that, it is noted that Ronald Reagan, one of the presidents of the United States, he he did nothing Um, his wife actually consulted the astrological charts on a daily basis Mm. and it seems as though the white house was largely run by astrology Mm. now len has used the figure of maybe they're right two to four percent of the time i don't know what the percentage is it's certainly not a hundred percent if people are willing to do that today surely you can trust and believe in a god who is 100 percent accurate Surely Mm. that would give you much greater confidence than these other
4: things. How important it is, what you've actually just shared there. Do you know, if I can just keep going with um, uh, John Lennox, the uh, uh, chair, uh, the holder of the chair in mathematics at Oxford University, he continues in his book uh, by saying this, to claim to be a Christian and not take prophecy seriously is a contradiction in terms. Mm. Yet in my experience, many professing Christians seem somewhat embarrassed by this dimension of their faith. This is, a, this is a remarkable statement coming from somebody who is the professor um, of, uh, of mathematics at a very significant university. Um, and, Mick, you wanted to, 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 to share. Yeah, I was just going to
0: share um, about the prophecy because we need to look today for a specific uh, you know, topic. There are many Christians looking at prophecy and understanding in uh, different ways. And this is uh, quite challenging because um, in this occasion today, we have an opportunity to clarify how to look to a prophecy. Because, as I said, I came across people who will apply prophecy in totally out of context. Mm. And uh, that will not be God's plan. For instance, God is telling about a decree to come up, and the seven seventy 70 weeks and it's interesting that there were three decrees given mm-hmm. one by cyrus one by darius and one the attack mm-hmm. now which one from which one we should start that date of the 70 but weeks, in, which, in, which in, you the, mentioned
4: prophesies the coming of the
0: messiah oh, exactly yeah. but here it's very important because it says god gives details when he talks in uh, in his uh, prophecies the first two Decrees were um, in regard to the rebuild of the temple, but um, the third decree by uh, the king Artaxerxes uh, was more in regard of the rebuilding of Jerusalem.
4: You certainly get those three commands that have uh, that have taken Hmm. part that took place under three leaders the first two of them referring to the rebuilding of the temple at jerusalem the third one referring to the rebuilding of jerusalem itself and what god specifies in this prophecy is that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build jerusalem until the coming of the messiah the prince shall be a certain yes, period of yes, time correct. so you actually yes. get that you get these specific uh, details that i think you pick up v- um, really, really well, uh, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we have in in this prophecy um, uh, is uh, are details that allow us to interpret what it is actually referring to. Context is so
2: important. Mm-hmm. Len. Fairly recently, I read a book by a doctor of divinity about various aspects of what we are studying about today. And the thing that surprised me was the shallow uh, thinking of this man Um, had made various assumptions and therefore built a theology on those assumptions. But we're not required to make assumptions. The Bible explains itself. And you've just said perfectly well that the first two decrees, the one by Cyrus and Darius, were for the rebuilding of the temple. The house of God, primarily. Whereas the third decree in 457 BC, given by Artaxerxes, was the rebuilding of the city with its legal and judicial system and everything else that goes with a state. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is the,
4: uh, to, to me, the really significant thing about prophecy. Prophecy can actually be incredibly accurate, and it's so important to actually read it within its context. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, Brenton.
5: The comment that's made here in uh, verse 25 of chapter 9 is important. The first two words are know and understand. That means the angel talking to daniel is saying i want you to know but i also want you to understand now daniel would not have understood that the 70 weeks gary that we're going to get to the 70 weeks were not 70 literal weeks because had they been 70 literal weeks all of this would have been fulfilled within his lifetime
4: that Leave that oh, one hanging at the moment uh, because we're going to come to that one. We're just jumping in a little bit early. Um, let me just come back to this quote of, um, um, from John Lennox again because I think he makes some points here that we need to pick up on. Uh, Christianity, he says, is thoroughly embedded in history and prophecy. Love that. Yes. Many of its central events, including the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, were the subject of predictions made centuries early. I am only too well aware that contemporary culture in the West is so dominated by the naturalistic, that's that there is no supernatural, that naturalistic worldview that anyone who claims there is a supernatural dimension to reality is looked at with disbelief and even mocked. Do you know that is the reality of the world in which yes, we are living today, yes, and yes. as a result, so many people don't understand the, um, the the reality and the power of the prophecies that are actually given in uh, within Scripture. Len, were you wanting
2: to, to come in? <laughs> well, I've got a lot of time for John Lennox and what he says, and he's argued um, and very successfully argued a case for uh, creationism um, against many, many evolutionists and humanists and um, I see it like this. We've got a lot of Christian people around the place who believe in Christ. In fact, one of my colleagues said to me one day, I believe in Jesus and what he said, but I don't believe in all that Old Testament stuff. Mm. But to take Jesus and isolate him, it's almost meaningless I mean, why did Jesus come? He came Mm. to save his people from their sins. So where do we read about sins? Well, it's all in the Old Testament, Mm. where original sin came from. So uh, I agree with what John Lennox says here. To remove Christ from the context Mm. of the rest of the Scriptures is a silly exercise, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. can
1: Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, just coming back to uh, many Christians out there today, I've got some very, very good Christian friends, but yet they do not want to know anything about prophecy. I've tried many times, because as we all know, there's many, many interesting things happening in the world uh, that's leading up to the return of Jesus, and you try to mention to these people, and they just do not want to know, and I think, well... For us who know the truth and know the words of the Bible, we are so excited at this time we live in and know that the Lord's return is not that far away. So
4: prophecy to us is just the most fantastic thing ever. And yet... In many ways, um, our society has become so secular that uh, just as in Jesus' day, uh, the religious people themselves uh, had, a, uh, had an understanding of, of life, they had an understanding of, of scriptures, but they had actually missed the prophecies that spoke about the coming of Christ. Uh, and in missing that, they actually missed um, the whole point of the Old Testament. Nick? i was just going to add
0: what uh, on what uh, ken was saying because when you look at the um, christendom today prophecy it's important to know prophecies or you can uh, be a very good christian you know just being faithful to god and what you understand and forget about the prophecy what's the role of the prophecy first of all why prophecy was given what jesus said about prophecy
1: Well, Jesus said that he uh, basically would tell his people, his uh, followers, what would happen before it happened so they could trust in him. You see,
0: that's a very important thing. You know, prophecy is not only to foretell the future, but prophecy is also to establish our faith in God Mm -hmm.
4: and and, and that I think is actually something we're actually going to come to Nick because um, the reality is, is that there are many who define faith as being simple trust Faith is biblical. Faith is actually a lot more than simple faith. Faith, biblical faith, actually has a very substantive base. It has a solid base. It is based in history. It's based in prophecy. It's based in fulfilled mm. prophecy. Mm. It's uh, these are things which we can see and hear, touch and taste. These are things that we can experience, um, and uh, uh, they're going far beyond the simple trust in, yeah. the, in the Christian world. Yeah. Jesus in
2: talking about the scriptures which would have been the Old Testament scriptures at that time said these are they that testify, testify of me, me. exactly yeah. talking exactly. about me yeah. yes yeah
4: yeah. yeah. Uh, Bren,
5: Gary one important point here that uh, John Lennox has touched on I may be too well aware that the contemporary culture in the West is so dominated by the naturalistic world view that anyone who claims there is a supernatural dimension to reality is looked at with disbelief and even mocked. He has made evident a very important truth. Because our world, including Christianity, is now conditioned to a naturalistic approach, We know from the Bible where Christ himself, one of the first things he said in Matthew 24 that we studied a number of weeks ago was this. um, Beware of false Christs and false prophets. Mm. If you discount anything outside the naturalistic world, therefore any supernatural event that comes in, because you have discounted the supernatural of what God does, you will automatically accept the supernatural manifestation that you see. This is a danger I believe we face in 2019. It's a very serious danger because God tells us in the Bible, test everything. Test whether it's of God or whether it's not. How do you test it? You test it by the word of God. But if you've disregarded the word of God and you cannot prove something scientifically, you will automatically accept it as not only being supernatural, but coming from God. And Uh we know from the Bible that it can be coming from another source altogether.
4: Okay. Let's... uh Let's let's just move on in this prophecy because I'm conscious that our time is actually uh, moving. Um, this particular prophecy, Daniel 9:25, uh, it declares that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince comes, there's going to be a. Um, it's going to happen in uh, what it says seventy weeks. In other words, it gives a period of time. Now, um, Brenton, is this? 70 literal weeks. I mean, 70 literal weeks isn't even a year and a half. Um, can you just sort of give us a bit of an understanding? I mean, this 70 weeks, what is it? What's it referring to? We
5: believe in Scripture, and Numbers fourteen thirty-four and Ezekiel 4, 5, and 6 actually bear this out, that a day represents a year in prophetic understanding. This is called the historicist interpretation of Scripture. And it is important because if Daniel understood that this was going to take place in about 15 months, I think he would have been greatly excited. But the fact of the matter is, it says at the end of that period of time, Messiah, the prince, would come. I think Daniel was beginning to understand when you go back to the start of this chapter, it says that the first thing he did was to seek his God by confession and repentance Mm -hmm. and all prophetic utterances often begin with the person who is inspired seeking the Lord and asking the Lord to cleanse their hearts so that he can fill them with his Holy Spirit so that they can be channels through whom God can actually uh, put out these things so I think he would have been excited by the fact that at the end of this period of time Messiah the Prince was going to come but it was not seventy literal weeks; it was seventy weeks of years.
4: I think what you what you're saying here is actually very important, Britain, because within prophecy there is certainly this understanding that there are uh, various symbols. For example, we mm. have a have a beast, is yes. most frequently yeah. refers yeah. to a kingdom. That's, um, that's something that flows all the way through uh, through scripture, and you've got a number of these uh, these symbols that actually are pointing to something which are quite literal now within scripture we get a number of examples where a day is actually presented presented as a prophetic year so that's right. one thing means another now mm-hmm. does anybody else want to make any comments on this before we before i move on
2: well some people might say why why doesn't it speak in clear terms why does it simply say 490 years well, some of the modern translations do do that little uh, mathematical calculation, but it is nothing wrong to actually use another thing to say something else. For example, dear Dorothy Dix, um, there used to be columns in the women's magazines. Dear Dorothy, my friend has had this experience happening to her. What do you advise? Well, dear Dorothy knows that this person who's writing about their friend is not actually writing about their friend, they're writing about themselves. Mm. So that's an acceptable way of presenting information.
4: Well, even today we have, uh, yes. for example, uh, if you look at an animal like the eagle, what country would that be, be represented America. by? It? You've got America. Mm. If you're looking at a bear, Russia. Um, Russia at that point. So even today we use symbols yes. to represent various uh, various countries. And in, within Bible prophecy what you get is the same sort of thing occurring where you get uh, symbols being utilised to represent something that is actually literal. And the really important principle here, I think, for us to understand, Mm -hmm. is that Scripture must interpret itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think of just one passage here, if I can just share it with sure. you. In, um, in Daniel chapter 8, um, Daniel just had a vision and it says this. The ram that you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. Yeah. So here what we've got is an example of the scriptures actually interpreting themselves. Verse 21, the male goat that you saw is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. So here what we do is we have an example of uh, of symbols being used to represent uh, something which is literal. And that's what you find within Scripture. So when we come to this passage of uh, a time period and starts to talk of 70 weeks. Now, by the way, 70 weeks, how uh, how many days is that? Four hundred ninety. Four hundred, four hundred and ninety literal, uh, four hundred literal literal years, or so four hundred ninety days 490 is four hundred ninety literal years. years. Okay, we've got just a, a few minutes to uh, to go. So here we've actually got a prophecy where Daniel uh, Daniel is saying that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes, there's going to be this period of four hundred and ninety. Literal, literal years. Now, now, Brenton, um, back to you again. You, you work in ministry. Um, when was this command given? You know, um, what year was the command actually given? Because it says 490 years after it being given, Messiah, the Prince, was going to come. What year was it actually given?
5: 457 BC. And if you go to the book of Luke, you will find that Luke records the year of Christ, the beginning of Christ's ministry at his baptism, which is actually part of this prophecy.
4: OK, OK, so we're talking 490 years yes. after four fifty seventy seven B.C. Mm. brings us to the year 27 A.D. But hang on, I thought Christ died in 30 A.D. 27, that takes us to 27. What happened in 27 A.D.? Anybody.
2: This was the time when Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and began his ministry.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And you know what's important here?
5: what's important here is that Luke actually records that it's in the 50th 15th year of the reign of Tiberius the emperor and it's pretty easy to work out which is the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. One of the good things about Luke in the book of Luke and the book of Acts is that Luke was a doctor. Therefore, he was used to being precise. Mm. And people have done studies. uh, Len would know and you would know and I guess others here know. People have actually studied Luke's predictions in his books and often found that they're remarkably accurate. Mm. What he's actually said can't be discounted as just, well, he was just thinking in terms of his times. Mm. No, there are actually things that have happened. The 15th year of Tiberius' reign can be dated to the year A.D. 27, Mm. which, as Len says, is the start of Christ, the Messiah, the Prince's ministry.
4: Yeah, these dates are are dates that we actually have. um, We have absolute confidence in them because Mm. the dating, uh, certainly from historical archaeological sources, are very is very very certain. Um, to me, I believe this is an, a truly remarkable prophecy. Here we have got uh, the, uh, the prophet Daniel speaking and sharing about the future, saying 490 years from the time of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes, there's going to be 490 years. Where does 490 years take us to? It takes us to the year 27 AD. What a powerful uh, yes. prophecy this is to confirm the uh, the coming of the one Jesus Christ.
2: I- I'm just wondering, Just we-, we-, we do need to lend, just before we finish. Gary, I'm sure there are some of our listeners who are going to recognise there's a bit of a conflict. In that 70th week, many religious interpretations have changed things from what I understand the Bible says. They've snipped off that 70th week and they've parked it somewhere in the future. Uh Now, Brenton said before, we accept the historicist, the historical view on this. These are events that have already occurred. And when it talks about in the midst of the week, the Messiah shall be cut off. This is three and a half years after his baptism where Jesus was crucified to me it's as clear as day but some people have confused it and another one of the reasons why they've confused it they have assumed that from the beginning of the decree to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem the decree given by Cyrus they set their dates from there and to me it's very confusing what we're sharing with you today listeners I believe is truth, it's clear and I believe it can be supported from the rest of Scripture.
4: I think, I think actually, and what you actually share there is very it, important. It's very true. Um, so that can I just clarify the historicist um, perspective on prophecy? And we're becoming a little bit technical now, and I uh, and I really understand that. But this was the method of um, of biblical interpretation that was presented by people like um, the Protestant reformers. The vast majority, in fact, to my knowledge, there are, no, there are no Protestant reformers who were not, did not come from the historicist school of biblical interpretation.
5: How about Sir Isaac Newton, who was, not, who was not only a theologian, but
4: also a scientist? That's great. And uh, this, is, this is a really significant point. This, this prophecy has been confused uh, by reading into the text that which actually Stuff is not, not there, there. Mm-hmm. now guys let's just finish up because we do need to finish up you know what do prophecies like this do for your faith um, what, what do they say about the God of the Bible what do these prophecies the, uh, the absolute precision of these prophecies what do they do for your faith is
2: there anybody who'd like to uh, well, I'd like push? to make a comment yeah what it does for me is tells me that there is somebody on whom I can rely Yes. What he says is truth, I can rely on it mm, mm. Okay, so you've got a reliable
4: God Yeah, okay Anybody else? I can.
1: Yeah, I'd just like to add that uh, Obviously these prophecies for me Prove without a doubt that there is a God in heaven A force that we don't understand But he's certainly uh, an amazing uh, being But it also gives me confidence And I think this is important When you're witnessing to people You know that you're speaking the truth mm,
5: mm. Brian? Brian? Some of my favorite portions of scripture are found in the book of John. Jesus said that when he left this earth, he said, uh, I tell you these things that in me you might have peace. Mm. Now, confidence is one thing, but confidence in a God who knows the end from the beginning gives you peace. Mm. What do people need today in 2019? They need peace. Mm.
4: Mm. Legia?
3: God prepares his people and doesn't leave them in the dark.
0: Mm. Mm. So
3: prepares them in advance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Make? To me is very important because also the Bible points out that says when you'll see all these things happening, lift up your eyes towards heaven because your redemption is near. Sure. We are here to prepare ourselves and people for Jesus second coming. And if we are able to identify where we are in prophecy, then how good it is. To, to be ready and lift up your eyes, not to be caught by surprise, not to be deceived by anything in this world, mm. but, but to be right on
4: the spot as uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were. God is in control. Okay. Amen. That to me is what this is saying to me. It how is our God, He is in control. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Father in heaven,
5: we thank you that in you we may have peace. We have a God who knows the end from the beginning. We have a God who has given us these things because he loves us. We have a God who is coming again. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I am coming to take you to be with me. Lord, may not only our panel today, but also our listeners experience what it is to have this peace, to have this total confidence in God and his prophetic vision for the future. And may we one day very soon see you face to face, is my earnest prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. And thank you so much for uh, being part of this discussion. Uh, um, I would like to encourage our listeners, uh, because we're talking about prophecies, and if you'd like to know a little bit more about this prophecy, I will invite you to come with us as we have some seminars going on every week here in uh, Adelaide. This is particularly for uh, Adelaide people, but you can search uh, in your uh, area if uh, some prophetic seminars are going uh, to take place. And myself, I'll invite you to 7 Belville Street Prospect every Tuesday evening 7.30 and Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And you'll be able to learn more about prophecies. Until then... May God bless you and have a wonderful time.